you please open your Bibles as you are standing to Mark chapter number 7. We're going to be reading today the last few verses of this chapter, beginning with verse number 31. Mark 7, 31 to 37. Then he returned from the region of Tyre and went through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee in the region of the Decapolis. And they brought to him a man who was deaf and had a speech impediment. And they begged him to lay his hand on him. And taking him aside from the crowd privately, he put his fingers in his ears. And after spitting... (laughs) touched his tongue, and looking up to heaven, he, he sighed and said to him, Ephaphtha, that is, be opened. And his ears were opened, and his tongue was released, and he spoke plainly. And Jesus charged them to tell no one, but the more he charged them, the more zealously they proclaimed it. And they were astonished beyond measure, saying, He has done all things well. He makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. Father, Lord, we come to you now dependent upon your Holy Spirit to bring light to our hearts, illuminate this passage, this text, this portion of your inspired, inerrant, infallible, authoritative, and sufficient word. Illuminate it in our hearts and minds this morning so that we would see the Lord Jesus Christ in a way perhaps that we've never seen Him before. And that we would be compelled and irresistibly drawn by Your Holy Spirit to call upon Him in faith to fall down at His feet, even as these people today begged the Lord Jesus Christ to touch Him. Lord, we are begging You this morning. Touch us by Your grace and by Your Spirit and for Your glory. In Jesus' name, Amen. You may be seated. Have you ever walked away from an experience and thought, well, that was kind of weird. Hopefully not any time here at Park Bible on Sunday morning. Maybe Wednesday evening, maybe so, but, uh, but not Sunday morning. Maybe, maybe you walked away from an experience and thought, well, that was, that was strange. Maybe a conversation with someone or a place you'd never been. I can actually think of quite a few of those experiences in my life. I remember the first time, I remember the first time I went to a Pentecostal church. Melanie, you know this, right? I remember the first time I went to a Pentecostal church, I was like, wow, what in the world is going on here? I heard and saw things that I had never seen or heard in church. There were people shouting, people clapping, people... Jumping, I even 
I even saw our brother one time run the tops of the pews. No, no joke. Now, if you're Pentecostal here this morning, please don't be offended. I can speak like this because I have a Pentecostal heritage myself, and I think that us frozen chosen Baptists could learn a few things from the joyful exuberance of our Pentecostal brethren. But let's be honest, to someone who's not used to it, a Pentecostal church service can seem a little strange. And strangeness, or that which is unusual, it makes us uncomfortable, doesn't it? Because things are not how we have these preconceived ideas how they should be. We are unaccustomed to the unusualness of certain things. And it disturbs our notion of what things should be. But friends, if you've been paying attention in Mark over the past two weeks, your strange antenna should be clicking up high. Because over the past two weeks in Mark, in verses 24 through 30, we saw Jesus call a desperate mother a dog. Remember that from last week? And now in our text today, we find the incarnate, eternal Son of God (laughs) spitting and putting His fingers in the ears of a deaf man. But like last week, Things that sometimes seem strange to us on the surface actually point to a deeper demonstration of the mercy, of the person, of the glory of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. As He touches this man today in this text in a way that is unforgettable. And as we work through this text this morning, we need to see ourselves in the person and in the place of this deaf, disabled man. Because though we may not have deaf ears, friends, we have deaf hearts. (laughs) And we desperately need our deaf hearts opened by the divine touch of Jesus Christ, who though sometimes He works in our lives in a very strange and a very unusual way, He does all things well. And so I want us to look at this passage together, these final verses of Mark 7, and see, first of all, that Jesus leads in unexpected ways. He leads in unexpected ways. Look at verse 31 again. Mark says, Then he returned from the region of Tyre and went through Sidon, to the Sea of Galilee in the region of the Decapolis. Now on the surface, on the surface, this may seem like a simple comment by Mark to sort of set the geographical setting of where the healing of the deaf man occurred. But friends, it is way more than that. (laughs) This is not just a geography lesson by Mark. He is actually saying something in verse 31 through the details of this verse. So I want us to try to unpack this a little bit this morning. And the first thing we really need to acknowledge is that only Mark makes mention of this route. When you read the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, only Mark gives these kind of details. 
of his, Jesus and his disciples going back to the Sea of Galilee. Remember, they are in the region of Tyre, which is about 35 miles north of Capernaum, which was Jesus's, uh, it was his home base, so to speak. So to speak, it was his, his hometown. In fact, if you go to Israel today, you will see signs in Capernaum that say the town of Jesus. 35 miles north near Tyre, they are in Gentile territory, friends. And they're going back home, but not yet. Jesus leads his disciples on a journey of at least 120 miles. Now, to us, that may not seem like much. But to them, that was substantial. It would be almost like going from Philadelphia to Pennsville via Trenton and Atlantic City. That's the kind of route that they took. It was almost a horseshoe-shaped route. In fact, this route was so unusual that many so-called Bible scholars have accused Mark of either not knowing his geography very well. (laughs) Think about that for a moment. We have Bible scholars in the 20th and 21st centuries telling a man who lived in the 1st century, you don't know your geography well. It's true. They've accused him of such nonsense. Or they've said he's just made the route up, completely just made the story up for his own literary purposes. But friends, those are the ravings of unbelieving scholars and skeptics who know too much for their own good. Nevertheless, Jesus and his disciples did go way out of the way to get to where they were going, which Mark says in verse 31 was what? The Sea of Galilee in the region of the Decapolis. That means the southeastern side of the Sea of Galilee. The Decapolis was a region of ten cities on this side, not the side of Capernaum, where Jesus lived and where Peter lived and where all of that took place, that part of the Galilee, the region of Galilee. This was on the southeastern side of the Sea of Galilee, Decapolis, ten cities, a predominantly Gentile area. And the route that he took to this region was through Gentile territory. And friends, therein lies the significance for why Mark includes this unusual itinerary in his account. Remember, we've said this multiple times. Who do we think that Mark was writing his gospel primarily to? For the Christians in Rome. It was a circular gospel, yes, but it was written primarily to the Christians in Rome. were Gentiles. Mark is highlighting the Gentile ministry of Jesus. But last week we saw this this fascinating, strange encounter between Jesus and this desperate Gentile mother, whom he did call a dog, remember we talked about that. And, and, And Jesus made it clear that though his mission was primarily to the Jews, he said, it is not right for the dogs to eat the children's bread. Right? 
His mission was primarily to the Jews, but that didn't mean that salvation was for the Jew only. And now he, as it were, makes an object lesson out of what he just said. He says, I'm going to show you what this looks like. I, yes, have come for the Jews, but this persistent Gentile mother wouldn't be denied. And so I met her need, and now I'm going to show you 12 men, my disciples, what it looks like for the gospel to reach beyond the borders of Israel. And so he takes this strange route going way out of the way, an extended journey even, get this, deeper into Gentile territory. Friends, this is why the maps in your Bible are actually an important part of your Bible. Jesus is deeper now in Gentile territory. He's in the Decapolis. And he's teaching his disciples that through this visible expression of the gospel. He's saying, my gospel is not bound by ethnic or national boundaries. And you 12 will be the ones who will take this gospel beyond the borders of Israel. Not me. I've come for Israel. I've come for the lost sheep of the house of Israel. That's what he told the woman in Matthew. But you guys will take this message beyond these national borders to the ends of the earth. And so secondly, Mark is using this unusual route of Jesus deep into Gentile territory to to drive his narrative forward. See, listen... Church, we need to stop reading the Bible as if they were, as if it were just individualized verses. This is, I'm going to use this word carefully, this is a story, okay? Not as in once upon a time. This is a historical account for sure, but God is telling us something through the construction of His revelation. And Mark is revealing something to us. He's telling us something about Jesus. And everything that he says is pushing us forward to that point. That climactic question of Christ himself in chapter 8, verse 27, when he looks at his disciples and says, Who do men say that the Son of Man is? Who do you say that I am? And then Peter It's granted that revelation of the true divine identity of Jesus. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Friends, make no mistake, circle that in Mark chapter 8. That's where where we're going. That's where Mark is going. Everything he's telling us to this point is driving us at high speed to that point. But that episode will take place in Caesarea Philippi, which is not just a Gentile territory. It is a place of notorious pagan worship. 
And we'll talk more about that when we get to Mark 8, 27, which, by the way, we're next week we're turning the page to Mark chapter 8. So we're moving there. We'll talk more about Caesarea Philippi when we get there. But here's the point. One of the most significant moments in the ministry of Jesus and his disciples will take place in a most unlikely place. Far away from the safety of home field, so to speak. And that is what Mark is preparing us for here in this narrative. If we would just be careful enough to connect the dots. And so... This is far more than a geography lesson, isn't it? You see, friends, Jesus does some of his most significant work in unexpected places. That's the point. Verse 31. He does some of his most significant work in unexpected places. And that's the application for us today. You see, we get really uncomfortable when Jesus takes us the long route, don't we? But he leads us away from what's familiar and safe. Has anybody ever experienced that? Has Jesus ever taken any of you in here the long way around in life? I mean, you're not sure what he's doing or where he's taking you, but all you know is the promise, the promise of Proverbs 16, verse 9, which says, The heart of a man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. You have no idea where you're going or where God is taking you, but you know the Bible says this about you. You plan your way, but the Lord will establish your steps. I can share only of my personal experience. I was, I was 19 years old when I felt the call of God to go into pastoral ministry. I was 19. But I would be 39 before I would ever step behind a pulpit as the pastor of a church. This church, in fact. Friends, that's the long way around. That's 20 years of waiting. And during those years when the call of God seemed almost dormant at times. The Lord was doing deep work in me, preparing me, changing me. So friends, don't be afraid of the long, unexpected route. That's where God does some of his deepest work in our lives. That's where he's preparing us for some of the most significant events, some of the most important work to come. Now, that may happen to you when you're 18, 28, or 88. Do not be afraid of the long, unexpected route. Secondly, in this passage, we see that Jesus takes the hard cases Man, aren't you thankful for that? <laughs> Jesus takes the hard cases. Look at verse number 32. They brought to him a man who was deaf, and he had a speech impediment. 
And they begged him to lay his hand on him. Friends, I want you to imagine the scene. The beauty of the Gospels and the book of Acts, this historical narrative in the Bible, the New Testament, is that we can use these creative imaginations that God has given us to go there with the, the text, to go to the region of the Decapolis with Jesus and the disciples, to see this deaf man and his friends who have brought him to Jesus, begging him just to touch him. Friends, I want you to, I want you to go there now and see this. But there is an irony in this verse, in verse 32, that we, we cannot miss. Can't miss the irony here. You see, Jesus has been here before, hasn't he? This is going to where I'm about to find out how much you guys really pay attention on Sunday morning. Jesus has been to the Decapolis before, this Gentile region. When he met a man called Legion, in Mark chapter 5, this man was filled with demons. Remember the account? Remember Legion? Remember when Jesus cast the demons out of that man and they went into the pigs and then the pigs ran down the hill and drowned themselves in the lake, the Sea of Galilee? Mark says in chapter 5, verse 17, that the people began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. They begged Him to leave. Well, now He's back in the Decapolis, and people are begging Him again, but not to leave. They're begging Him to help. See, no doubt by this time, the testimony of Legion's radical transformation had spread throughout the area. People talk, don't they? Legion's word. If you go back to Mark 5, you find that Jesus said, just go home and tell your friends. Legion, the man called, we don't know his name. We shouldn't even call him Legion. Because that was the demonic name. But he said, I, I, I can't keep this just to my family. I've got to go and tell. And so now these people in this area, this region, knew that Jesus was the real deal. He's back. And so they brought to him a man in desperate need of his touch. He was deaf. Because of his deafness, he, he couldn't really speak. He had a severe speech impediment. The original language here kind of indicates the sense that his speech was completely incomprehensible. Perhaps you've talked to someone who's deaf before who hasn't had the benefit of the therapy that we have today. And you can't really understand what they're saying. He couldn't hear so he couldn't articulate words in, a, in an understandable way. And friends, there were no hearing aids back then. There were no speech pathologists. There was no therapy to help this man. He was doomed to a life of disability, which in this culture, 
meant a life ostracized from the rest of society. He was what we might call a hard case. No one else could help. (laughs) But now, now the great physician was making rounds. He He was going through this Gentile region again. And this man's friend said, if we can just get him to Jesus, we know that he can make a difference. Because we've seen this wild demonized man that we once, he was once known by legion. We've seen him. He's, he dwelled among the tombs, but now he's walking and sitting in town. We've seen him around. He's just like one of us. And so Jesus touched him. And if we can just get this friend of ours to Jesus, he'll make a difference in his life as well. And so when they brought this, meth, this deaf man to Jesus, he, Jesus, <laughs> he began to do something that when you read this, it seems really inexplicable to us. It seems very strange to us. It's unusual. Look at verse number 33. Taking him aside from the crowd privately, he put his fingers in his ears. And after spitting, he touched his tongue. Let's make a few observations here. Jesus did not parade this man out in front of everybody like those preachers on TV do. Okay? You've seen Benny Hinn. You've seen TBN. Those guys, they bring them out on the stage, put a mic in front of their face, put a camera in front of their face, and turn the light on. That's not Jesus. That's man. Jesus pulled this man aside from the crowd, privately, Mark said. He put his fingers into his ears and he touched his tongue. He showed a remarkable display of compassion and love. That's what these gestures represent. They, they are what we might even call a sort of sign language. Jesus lets this man know that he recognizes his disability by putting his fingers in his ear. And then he spits. And touches his tongue. Now, that part, that seems really strange. You see, it was commonly believed in ancient times that saliva had healing properties. But friends, this is not just some pre-scientific era superstition either. Even today, we recognize that cuts and wounds inside the mouth... (laughs) heal quicker than anyone else on, anywhere else on the body. Why? Because saliva has certain proteins and enzymes in it that promote and accelerate healing. Have you ever heard the phrase, licking your wounds? So now you've got a geography lesson and a science lesson in the sermon at no extra charge.
But saliva alone would not have cured this man's deafness. So Jesus was communicating with him in ways that he would have recognized, ways that this man, this this disabled deaf man, would have understood. By the way, Jesus is actually going to spit again in Mark chapter 8. We're coming back to this. There's a lot of stuff in the New Testament that most of us are not even aware of. Jesus spits, he touches the man's tongue, and now look at verse number 34. Looking up to heaven, having touched this man's ears, spit, he touched his tongue, he says, Ephaphtha, that's an Aramaic word that means be opened. And verse 35, his ears were opened and his tongue was released and he spoke plainly. This was a miracle. It was instant. Jesus looks to heaven where his father sits in sovereign rule over every particle of matter in all his creation in the entire universe. And then Jesus sighs. Don't miss the sigh of Jesus here, friends. No doubt grieved over how the effects of living in a fallen, sin-cursed world have disabled this man. Friends, please hear me this morning. This world is not the way God created it. The suffering that we see in our world is because of the presence of sin in our world. People die because of the presence of sin in our world. Babies die in utero because of the presence of sin in our world. Babies are aborted in utero because of the presence of sin in our world. We get cancer because of the presence of sin in our world. Everything that is wrong with our world is because of this intruder known as sin that we brought here. Have you ever watched the news or scroll through your little Facebook feed and just sighed in grief over the terrible things that we see every single day in our world? Jesus sighed often in the New Testament. I encourage you to look it up. He sighed often in the New Testament, mostly either out of, one, frustration with human unbelief, or two, grief over human suffering. One of the two. But Jesus, unlike us, we sigh. We we can't really do anything about it much. We can try, but we can't. Jesus can, and He does. He is the promised one who would come to undo all the damage that sin had done to our world. And so this account then begins to draw our attention back to the messianic promise of where Isaiah 35, the very passage that we read in unison this morning, 
The prophet says, strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who have an anxious heart, do you have an anxious heart this morning? Isaiah wants you to hear this. Say to those who have an anxious heart, Be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, with the recompense of God. He will come and save you. Then, Isaiah says, The eyes of the blind shall be open, and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. We're seeing that fulfilled before our very eyes today in Mark chapter 7. Jesus in his earthly ministry healed the cripple, the deaf, the mute, the desperately sick. He even raised the dead as a foretaste of the kingdom to come. Remember, we're living in the already, but not yet. This is all just the foretaste. So if you're wondering why, well, if Jesus came to undo the effects of sin, why are we still feeling the effects of sin? It's because we live in the already of the kingdom, but not yet of the kingdom. It's come, but not in fullness. But as sure as it has come in the already, it will come in fullness, friends. This is the promise of Isaiah. Jesus Christ, the Lord Himself, has come to save. And friends, Jesus, get this, He takes the hard cases. He is the great physician who will take your case when everyone else says there's nothing else I can do for you. I know some of you have some hard cases in your lives. Maybe it's a family member living in rebellion against God. Maybe it's someone you love caught in the grip of sin. Maybe it's you. Something you cannot get relief from. Here in this passage, we see the great mercy, the great compassion, and the great power of Jesus to reach into broken lives and to say, friends, there is no case too hard for him. And after he healed this deaf man, look at verse number 36. Jesus charged them to tell no one. Immediately, you know he's not like the faith healers on television. Because they want to tell everybody so that you can, they can get your, your seed money. Are you hearing me this morning? Jesus said, don't tell anybody about this. But the more, verse 36, the more he charged them, the more zealously they proclaimed it. It's like, you know, I tell my kids, hey, don't do this. The more I tell them not to do it, they're diving headlong into it. happening here. But can you blame this man? Pastor John MacArthur, he says this, these verses might be introduced with the riddle, who is permitted to speak but not able? 
and able to speak, but not permitted. You see, this is the story of a man who couldn't speak. Then he could speak. And then he was told not to speak, but he spoke anyway. Why? Because this guy in the Decapolis, this unclean Gentile territory, he knew that he was a hard case. And he had to share the news of what Jesus had done for him. Just like that other hard case in the Decapolis. The man that we know as a legion. Oh friends, these guys, they had to run and start telling everybody about what Jesus had done for them. And we're, we're compelled to keep silent because we're afraid of getting put in Facebook jail for a couple of days. We're afraid that our hairstylist might have a moment of discomfort when we're talking to them about what Jesus has done for our lives. Friends, they told because they knew that Jesus was their last hope. In fact, they may have not even known that until after he had touched them. But they knew. They were the hard cases. So I want to point one more thing out in this passage this morning as we close. Lastly, Jesus does all things well. Everything. Everything he does is good. Verse 37. Put your attention there on this verse, please. They were astonished beyond measure, saying, He has done all things well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. So the works of Jesus in our lives, friends, should, in the words of this verse, astonish us beyond measure because He does all things well. But friends, I wonder how often do we feel that way about the sometimes unexpected ways that He leads us and the strange things that He does in our lives. I think if we're honest, if we're honest, we get impatient with the long, unexpected routes, don't we? With the long way around. We get impatient. We give up on the hard cases. We don't give Jesus a chance to astonish us anymore because we want His touch right here, right now, the way we want it. And we're not willing to find His glory through patience in our trials and weakness and suffering. Will you look at your life as hard as it has been or as hard as it is today and say to the Lord Jesus, look at Him by faith, in his eyes, and say, Lord, you do all things well. I may not understand why you're taking me down the long road, or why you're not working the way that I think that you should, but you do all things well. R.C. Sproul says that this confession and this affirmation is, quote, the heart of a Christian. He does all things well. 
It's not up to us to decide who gets sick. It's not up to us to decide who dies and who doesn't, or who God heals and who He doesn't heal. That's His business. But one thing is for sure, friends, Jesus does all things well. And so that is what we anchor to today. If God is doing some unexpected and strange things in your life, I know probably some of you in here feel like that from time to time, from young to old and everywhere and in between. If He's doing some unexpected, some strange things, friends, trust in Christ. He does all things well. And if you're a hard case this morning, I've got news for you. He takes the hard cases. He won't turn you away. Maybe you're here thinking that you're too far gone. Are you watching online and you're thinking that you're too far gone? You're not. Never. Maybe you think that someone you love is too far gone. They're not. There is on Calvary's cross, friends, a divine Savior whose blood still drips upon the deaf ears of our hearts. And He frees us from the enslaving power of sin and Satan. But we must turn away from our sins in repentance and submit to His Lordship in faith. We can't go on living our own way and then claim Jesus. We can't go on living like we're deaf and blind, but after He has touched us. <laughs> Friend, has your deaf heart been healed by the touch of Jesus this morning? Have you heard the voice of the Spirit calling you to turn from your sin, to turn from your self-reliance? And believe on Him. Perhaps you're hearing it right now. Friends, we are all hard cases. Every single one of us. We're all hard cases. The unbelieving heart that each one of us is born with is impenetrable apart from sovereign grace. But thank God that we have a Savior who takes the long road and he goes into the unbelieving territory of our spiritually deaf and dead hearts and he awakens us to life through faith in him. Oh my goodness, friends, your heart ought to be rejoicing this morning. This passage is here to tell us to run to Jesus, to trust in him today. Today, He's here to touch us. He will touch us. Let's pray.